faith I can do all things Cause it's you who gives me strength Nothing is impossible through you Blind eyes are open Strongholds are broken I am living by faith Nothing is impossible Not gonna live by what I see Not gonna live by what I feel Deep down I know that you're here with me And I know that you can do anything Through you I can do anything Nothing is impossible to you. Blind eyes are open. Strongholds are broken. I am living by faith. Nothing is impossible. I'm not gonna live by what I see. Not gonna live by what I feel Deep down I know that you're here with me I know that you can do anything Through you I can do anything I can do all things Cause it's you who gives me strength Nothing is impossible through you Blind eyes are open Strongholds are broken I am living by faith Nothing is impossible Not gonna live by what I see Not gonna live by what I feel Cause deep down I know that you're here with me And I know that you can do anything Through you I can do anything I can do all things Cause it's you who gives me strength Nothing is impossible to you Blind eyes are open Your hopes are broken I am living by faith Nothing is impossible I believe, I believe I believe, I believe in you I believe, I believe I believe, I believe in you I believe, I believe I believe, I believe in you I believe, I believe I believe, I believe in you Through you, I can do anything I can do all things Cause it's you who 
gives me strength Nothing is impossible through you Blind eyes are open Strongholds are broken I am living by faith Nothing is impossible through you I can do anything I can do all things Cause it's you who gives me strength Nothing is impossible through you Blind eyes are open Strongholds are broken I am living by faith Nothing is impossible Nothing's impossible with the Lord, right? We take all of our cares and our problems baggage and drop them out at the door. We're here to worship. Worship and praise the Lord God Almighty. We thank you, Jesus, for this day. We thank you for all that you have given us, but mostly the precious gift of your blood that covers us and allows you to come, us to come back into your presence. We thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Hello, peace, hello, joy, hello, love, 
Hello, stream. Hello, hope to new horizon. Fear is not my future. You are. You are. Sickness is not my story. You are. You are. Heartbreak's not my home. You are, you are. Death is not the end. You are, you are. Fear is not my future. You are, you are. Sickness is not my story. You are, you are. Heartbreak's not the end. You are, you are. Death is not the end. You are. Hello, peace. Hello, joy. Hello, love. Hello, spring. Hello, hope to new horizon. Goodbye, fear. Goodbye, guilt. Goodbye, shame. Goodbye pain, goodbye grave, it's a new horizon. Goodbye fear, goodbye guilt, goodbye shame. Goodbye pain, goodbye grave, it's a new horizon. Let the light in, let the light on in. Let the light in. Let the light all in. It's a new horizon. Let the light in. Let the light all in. It's a new horizon. Let the light in. Let the light all in. It's a new horizon. Let the light in. The light in. It's a new horizon. Let the light in. Let the light all. It's a new horizon. You know, we all have those dark rooms in our heart where we kind of keep the door shut. You know, and the Lord wants to shine his light in there because wherever there's light, the darkness has to flee. So the Lord's shining his light in all those areas of your heart. Just open it up. Open it up. Let the Holy Spirit minister. Jesus, the 
the only one who could ever say Worthy of every breath we could ever take We live for you Live for you With your heart and 
Just one. 
your prayer this morning nothing else will do you know we're few in number we have uh, 40 45 ladies and Mateo at the women's retreat and uh, they're having a great time you can be seated you know I was thinking about where we're going as a, a, a body of believers and one of the things that God wants us to do is to really press in you know we have a lot of things in our culture pressing in against us we have a lot of things in our society pressing in telling us what we should do and one of the things the Lord wants to do is he wants us to press in, not to be conformed to the pattern of this world, but uh, what Scripture says, he wants us to be transformed by what? The renewing of our mind. And our minds are renewed when we're in the Word of God. Our minds are renewed when the Spirit of God is around us. And it's, you know, it's, I think as, as believers, a lot of times we think we can only be in the presence of God in church. And the reality is it doesn't matter where you're at, whether you're riding a patrol car, or whether you're doing plumbing, whether you're riding a tractor, wherever you're at, if you're just sitting in a coffee shop, the presence of God can be with you. And I want to challenge us as men and women of faith to really press into that, to see that God has got something new in store for us. And I, I don't want us to ever get to the place where we, we become, you ever get to the place where you're really comfortable with someone and then you, you make a faux pas, you know? You do something and you kind of get yourself in a situation. Uh, God doesn't want us to be there. God wants us to be always on the edge of anticipating him and being in a place where we're always in awe of him. And so I just want to pray for us this morning that the Holy Spirit would just take the words of that last song and, and just say, we want just more of Jesus. How many of you want that? You know, Amen. Father, we just come before you this morning and we ask and pray that your Holy Spirit would just cultivate in us a deep, earnest desire to know you more. I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would draw us into a deeper revelation and understanding of you. I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would get into all of those little areas of our hearts and our minds and our thoughts, and Lord, and, and refocus them upon you. I pray, Father, that in the midst of all of the hecticness of our day, the hecticness of our schedules, all the details of life that can pull us in so many different directions, that, Lord, your Holy Spirit would be drawing us anew to you. I pray that the words of the Old Testament psalmist, that your, your mercies are new every morning and great is your faithfulness, that, Lord, we would never, ever, ever forget that. And I pray, Father, as we're drawn into a deeper relationship with you, It'll impact us in such a way, Father, that we are transformed by you and your presence. I pray that your word would not become some dusty old uh, writing on a shelf that we never look at. But, Father, I pray that it would be like Scripture says. It would be a two-edged sword divided between the bone and the marrow, the soul and the spirit. And that, Father, we would be men and women of faith who are so in tune with your voice that we, you, we would hear you speaking to us everywhere we go. Lord, I pray for each of us, Lord, that our ears spiritually would be open to hear you in that still small voice, Lord. We don't need to always hear the booming voice, but Lord, give us the sensitivity and the, the, uh, the wherewithal to hear your voice in those, those quiet times when you're just whispering to us, and that, Lord, we would be sensitive as men and women of the Spirit to understand and to know you in a more intimate and a more passionate way. And it's in Christ's name we ask. Amen. Amen. How many of you want that? Yes. 
Amen. Well, Michael's going to come up and share some announcements, and uh, we're glad. I'm glad to see all of you here. Good morning. How are you doing this morning? Huh? Oh, you guys came up by yourselves without your wives getting you out of bed? That's awesome. <laughs> Just want to welcome everybody, welcome all our visitors here this morning. Um, if you are, um, if you've moved or changed a phone number or changed an email or anything like that, um, and you want to update your information, um, just on the back of those cards behind there, just fill them out, you know, write your, your new numbers, your new email address and stuff like that. Amen. Um, daily devotionals, we have something every day um, throughout the week. As you can see, we have the field to the brim that Pastor Lynn does every Tuesday to Saturday. And we have our daily devotional from Pastor David, which is Tuesday to Friday. And we have our Crossroads Connect um, that we do every Wednesday, amen, the men's, women's, the youth, um, and an e-newsletter that we get. Um, so I encourage you, stay connected, get involved, stay in your word also, apart from this, stay in your word, amen. Um, like I said, we have the Crossroads Connect, that's our men's or women's and our, our um, youth that we have, that's Wednesdays. Um, the youth meet at 6, 6 to 8. Um, we have all kinds of things going on, amen. Um, our women, women retreat, they're, right now they're getting blessed. Um, they're having an amazing time, amen, and I, I just know it. Um, I'm sure there's lots of breakthrough healing, and they're going to come back on fire, man. They're going to come back on fire. So be ready for, for your wives and your moms and stuff to come back on fire, amen. Um, just keep them in your prayers. Um, Tongues of Fire service, that's November fourth at 8 p.m. I encourage you. That's going to be a Friday evening. Um, I encourage you to come. Come expecting. Don't just come like it's going to be a regular old service. Come expecting. Come expecting that God is going to move in a powerful way. Amen. And we have Thanksgiving, our Thanksgiving uh, dinner that we're going to have. Um, it's going to be November 16th at 7. I know we're all excited for that. Amen. Um, hopefully it's not all pies and pastries and, and all that. But, you know, we're going to have turkey and Good food, amen. Um, our ministry partner of the week, it's going to be Teen, Teen Challenge of Norwest Cal, Nevada. Um, they're so blessed. They're so awesome at what they do, amen. And our Crossroads, um, ministry, our women's ministry, uh, they're so blessed. And I encourage you to keep them in your prayers. Amen. Keep them in your prayers, and, and, and they go out, and they help these young women. They help, they help all these teens that are addicted, that are bound, that are, you know, single parents, amen, that have got things going on in their homes that need help. So I encourage you to keep them in your prayers, amen. And also we have our online sermons. Um, our online sermons, you can find them at Spotify. You can find it at Apple Podcasts. So um, just if you need to, to go back and listen to a sermon, um, you could find those there. Amen. And that's going to lead me into our tithes and offerings this morning. So God has been faithful. God is so good. You know, we're, we're doing a men's Bible study, and it's, it's on giving. Amen. And it's such a blessing to do because it is for sure, it's, it's, it's a heart check, and it's a challenge. The reason why we give. We don't give just to, you know, here's my money. God doesn't care about your money. <laughs> it's about the heart. Amen. It's about your heart. So I challenge you this morning, you know, check your heart. Why, why do we give? 
Amen. Yes, God says he's going to bless us. Yes, God says that he'll give beyond measure. Amen. But why do you give? Amen. Is it to see others saved? Amen. Is it to see breakthroughs in your life? Amen. Those are, those are all reasons why we should give. Amen. So I encourage you, um, be faithful. Be faithful in your giving. Amen. So, Father, this morning, Lord, we just we thank you, Father God, for what you're doing, Father God, in this house, Lord. And Lord, I, I just pray, Father God, that bless, bless us, Father God, in this house, Lord, as we're faithful to giving to you, Father God. And Lord, I just pray that this seed, Father God, would, that it gets planted in, in the field, Father God, that it would reap great, Father God. And Lord, I just pray your blessings over every one of us in Jesus' name. Amen. having y'all. We're doubling attendance every time someone else comes in. It's good. <laughs> you know, uh, I always uh, love when we have retreats. Uh, I love the men's retreat when we're away because I don't have to worry about it. And it's always challenging. You always pray like, uh, who's coming to service on the women's retreat? So it'll be fun to see who's here for the, the second service. But uh, glad you're here with us today. And I want to, uh, you know, one of the things that my wife and I always say when we're, we're speaking is I don't care if there's two people or there's 2,000 people. I want to preach the same way. And, uh, you know, we are going to give you the Word of God this morning. Uh, two weeks ago, I preached the first part of this sermon. And so if you didn't hear it, you could listen to it online. But I'll give you a short recap of it because uh, two weeks ago was the beginning of the Jewish New Year, uh, Rosh Hashanah. And it's interesting because the Lord had spoken to me several weeks prior to that that He wanted me to speak on new beginnings. And I believe that one of the things that God wants to give each and every one of us, each and every opportunity we have is a new beginning. And so this morning, I want to talk to you about that. And it's interesting because every single day, we have the opportunity to have a new start. That's what I love about the, you know, the beginning of the day. We can have, you get up, you can have a bad day yesterday, and today could be a great day. You have a bad day today, tomorrow could be a great day. And a lot of it comes down to our understanding and the way we process things and the way we think about things. And, and I, I love the fact that God's desire for us, no matter where we're at in our relationship with Him, is to give us a new beginning, a, a fresh start with Him. And when you read through Scripture, one of the things that's amazing is in the Old Testament, in the book of Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 43, verse 18 and 19, it says this. This is God speaking to us. Listen to this. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on them. How many of you know that there are people that constantly are dwelling on the former things. You know, we have a relative that things happened 45 years ago, and they're still talking about it like it happened this morning. And that's not what God wants. God wants us to forget those former things. And, and the reason why is because a lot of times those former things are anchors that are holding us back, keeping us from being the men and women that God wants us to be. And so what he says, he says, don't dwell on the past. But I love what he says in verse 19. He says, see, I'm doing a new thing. How many of you want God to do a new thing in your life? 
How many of you need God to do something special in your life that you just, you're saying, God, I don't know what you're going to do, but the same old, same old ain't what it used to be. And you need God to do something special. So the Lord wants to give you that. And I believe that the Lord doesn't really want us dwelling in the past because he's not just a God of yesterday, but he's a God of today and tomorrow. And, and many times we miss the opportunities that God gives us because we're so looking in the rearview mirror. You know, my brother, uh, oldest uh, brother, George, He's 10 years older than me, and he started a, a horrible family tradition for the men in our family. All of us have fake front tooth. One of, us, one of our front teeth are knocked out. And my brother George was driving an old Volvo, and he looked in the rearview mirror, and as he turned around, he hit a parked car, and a steering wheel hit his tooth and snapped his, teeth, his front teeth out. And uh, my older brother lost one. I lost one. But I always think about that when I'm looking back at the past. Because you're about to have an accident when you're not looking where you're going. And God doesn't want us staring back in the past. God wants us looking to the future. And another thing he says that in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, he says that you and I, when we're in Christ, we're a new creation. Now, that's, that's hard for us to process because we have memories of the old person. We have memories of what we used to be like. And then we have friends and family that will constantly remind you of what you used to be like. And one of the things that God wants us to do is to let us know that is not what defines you. When you're a new creation in Christ, all things pass away. The old things are passed away. The old is gone, and you're new in him. And one of the things that God wants us to do is to really grasp this understanding that when you're in Christ, you are a new creation, and, and you may have similarities of actions that you did, but actually you're a, you're a new creation. Why? Because there's a transformation of your mind. There's a transformation of your heart. And what God wants to do is he wants to transform you in a way that makes you more like him so that you can walk in the divine destiny that he has for you. And so when I was reading through this, one of the things I looked at was uh, Paul. I love the Apostle Paul because Paul teaches us in the book of Ephesians that he wants us to, to really to look at our, our lives through a filter and lens that God has. Look what he says to the church in Ephesus. He, Ephesus. he says that you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off the old self. You know, putting off is a, an act of intentionality. It's not, I can't do it for you. Michael, I can't take your old life, as young as you are, and change it and put it off. You have to do that. It's a choice that we have of our will. It's a choice that we have of our decision to say, I want to put off the old self. Why? And he says, because it's, it's corrupted. Now think about it. If you had a jacket that you had that was your favorite coat, and your dog got into it and decided to, to do some stuff on your jacket that didn't make it smell very good, would you want to wear it to a very special event? No. Why? Because it's been stained. It's been soiled. It's been corrupted. And that's really what our old life is. When we look at it through the lens of Christ, he says the old life is filth. The old life is no good, and he wants to get rid of it. And he says this, he says, that you are being corrupted by the deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds. That's why we're so big in this church about the transformation of your mind through the word of God. Because a lot of us have things in our minds that draw us back to our former way of living that God's saying, I want to transform that and I want to give you a new mind. I want to give you a new attitude. I want to give you a new spirit. And literally, it's interesting because uh, when I shared this a couple weeks ago, uh, Paul uses a word in here uh, where he talks about making new. It's actually a word, it means making your reasoning sanctified. Basically taking your thought process 
and renewing your mind because God's word gets into you and it transforms you, okay? So that's kind of a, a little bit of an intro of where we were a couple weeks ago. I, I preached out of the book of Genesis in Genesis chapter 35, and I want to just read the first uh, uh, nine verses of Genesis chapter 35 to bring us back because the storyline that we talked about a couple weeks ago was a storyline of Jacob having to deal with a situation where his family was in turmoil, there was a lot of pressure going on, and he came to a, a, a real a crossroad in his life. And listen to what Scripture says. Genesis 35, 1 through 9. Then God said to Jacob, Go up to Bethel and settle there and build an altar there to God, who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau. You know the story? Do you remember the story of Jacob? He was fleeing from his brother because he deceived his brother. And uh, he actually, his brother wanted to kill him. I mean, anyone have brothers that want to kill you, you know? Uh, basically, that's where he was at. He was in a tough situation. And God, I love this. God says, I want you to go back to where you were, where your brother was going to kill you. And then he says, and so Jacob said to the household and to all who were with him, get rid of the foreign gods you have with you and purify yourself and change your clothes. Then come, let us go up to Bethel where I will build an altar to God who answered me in the day of my distress and who has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave Jacob all their foreign gods that they had uh, and uh, gods they had and the rings in their ears and Jacob buried them under the oak of Shechem. Then they went out, and the terror of God fell on the towns all around them, and there was no one who persuaded them. Jacob and all the people with him came to Luz, that is Bethel, in the land of Canaan. There he built an altar, and he called the place El Bethel, because it was there that God revealed himself to him, when he was fleeing from his brother. Now Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died and was buried under the oak uh, uh, outside of Bethel, so it was named Alam Baku. Uh, after Jacob returned from Pasan Aram, God appeared to him again and blessed him. You know, it's interesting in this passage because we, we talked about some of the things that Jacob did, and Jacob really needed a fresh encounter with God. And if you remember, if you were here, if you weren't here, let me just uh, kind of highlight the points that we talked about. The first thing that God did when he spoke to Jacob is he told him to, to get up. He told him to get up. And it's literally mean to take a stand and, and climb something. It literally means like if you're going to hike a mountain. You know, I saw that Rick and Francine were up, uh, they hiked to the center of, of California, went to the monument. You know, you had to climb a hill to get there. And a lot of times when God's calling you to do something, there's energy and effort involved. There's an expenditure of, of, of your personal life to get to that higher level. And a lot of times people don't want to do that because they don't want to pay the price to get there. You know, uh, a lot of times people will say, well, I'd do this, but I don't want to do that. Uh, I, I want the benefit of it, but I don't want to go through it. I remember when my wife and I were doing our doctoral studies, we'd hear people say all the time, oh, I, I'd get a doctor if it wasn't for the dissertation. Well, that's like saying I'd climb the mountain if it wasn't for the hike. You can't do one without the other. And what God is calling Jacob to do is to say, I'm calling you to a new level. And with that new level, you have to put a little energy and effort into it. The second thing he says to him is, he says, I want you to go up to where? To Bethel. Bethel was a place that Jacob had encountered God in a previous time. And he wants him to go there because he wants him to go to hear something from God in a very special way. And Bethel was really about a transition of, of uh, spiritual authority. If you understand Scripture, a, uh, Jacob, who is Jacob's father? Isaac. Who is, who is Jacob's grandfather? Abraham. 
So it's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's a multi-generational approach to coming to God. And what God wants to do is he's reminding, he's reminding his, his servant Jacob, just like I was faithful to your grandfather and just like I was faithful to your father, I will be faithful to you. But you've got to engage in this. You've got to go on and, and move forward to this. The third thing he said to him is this. He said, I want you to settle there. And this is a very interesting concept because he wants him to go and to settle in a place where he met God. Think about the place that you met the Lord. The, I, I remember the, 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 the very time and place. It was the back of a real tiny church in northeast Pennsylvania. I, I could take you there today and, and point to the spot on the floor where I remember kneeling down and confessing my sin. I remember the place exactly where I was at when the Lord called me into full-time ministry. I was in a little tiny Catholic prayer chapel at Penn State University, Michael, just to let you know, God speaks to you at Penn State, you know? And I was in a prayer chapel, and I was just praying, reading scripture, and the Lord said, I'm calling you to go to seminary. And I'm like, God, I, I've got my whole, my whole career. I, had, I worked with a guy that was the assistant to the undersecretary for the Department of Interior. He told me any place I wanted to work in the country, I had a job. And the Lord's telling, and I'm struggling with the Lord. And I could, I remember sitting on this bench, and kneeling on this bench, and thinking, "Oh, why did I come in here?" You know, I had my future. I had a plan, God. I had a five-year, a seven-year, and a ten-year plan, and you're coming up and messing it up. And God says, "You know, because I have, I have better things in store for you." And 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 God wants you to be reminded. And He says, "Settle there," which is really an interesting word choice because it literally means to set up residency to establish yourself in that place. Now, if you flip over into the New Testament, it's really interesting because in the Gospel of John chapter 15, Jesus is, is talking to us and he says this. He says, if you remain in me, I will also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So in this one passage, he uses a word four times, and those four words are really interesting because they're in a tense in the, in the Greek language that may, basically means to begin at a point in time and continue on without interruption. That's really what God wants us to do. He wants us to spend time with him no matter where you're at. And you could be at work, you could be at home, you could be driving your car. It doesn't really matter. You could still spend time with the Lord. If you invite the Lord into a situation or circumstance, you know what? He's going to show up. And God wants us to have that mindset where we constantly are settling in and rem remembering who he is. So that's kind of where we ended two weeks ago. If you all remember that, if you were here. If not, you do now, okay? Uh, you can also listen to it on our, our podcast if you want the whole sermon. But it's interesting because the fourth, this is interesting, the fourth thing that, that, that God speaks to, to Jacob about, he says, I want you to build an altar there to God. Now, why does God need an altar? I mean, God is the creator of heaven and earth. He made everything. Why, why does God speak to Jacob and say, I want you to build an altar? Because altars are not so much about God as us remembering what God did for us. And it's interesting in this text because he says he wants him to go and build an altar. And an altar, if we're in a church, some churches have altars. They have, you know, if you've been to uh, churches, I've been to cathedrals all over the world, and they'll have a huge altar up front. If you go down to San Juan Batista, into the mission, you walk in, and it's a beautiful altar they have. An altar is a place that is elevated, and it's a place that has been dedicated to God. It's, a, it's actually a meeting place between the physical and the spiritual. 
When you go to an altar, you know, when you're married, if you're married in a church, you may walk up to the altar and have communion together. It's you dedicating yourself as a couple to God and to one another. And that's really what he's talking about with Jacob here. He's talking about a, 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 an intersection between the invisible and the visible. You know, God wants to intersect between your normal life on your daily life. He wants to intersect and he wants to come into your life on a regular basis doing the mundane things that you do, doing the simple things that you do, where it's not this, you know, you're all alone and having this high and incredible encounter with God. He wants to be with you Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. He doesn't look at your time differences any different than anything. He wants to inter, inter, uh, interrupt your daily life and be with you everywhere you go. And that's what an altar is. It's really, it's a gateway between the visible and the invisible, between the spiritual and the natural. And the old man, that's, that's why it's so important that Jacob had to give off the old man, because the old man wants to stay in the natural. The new person in Christ, the new believer in Christ, there is a desire to be drawn into that place of exchange. And when you go into that place of exchange, what you're doing to God, you're presenting yourself to him. You know, Scripture says that it, it, we're, uh, if you really want to do true worship, Present yourself, your whole self to God. That is your act of worship. And it's really, it's trading something. You're trading your old self for your new self. When you come up to an altar when you're married, what are you doing? You're trading your singleness for a married life. When you dedicate something to God, you're, you're giving up that old thing to have something new. And that's what God wants to do. He wants to transform you and make you have a relationship with him. Now, when you think of scripture, one of the things that is interesting is how does this relate to us today? Well, Altars in the New Testament are not necessarily altars of physical structures of stone. They're more attitudes of our heart. You know, the last song that we sang in worship was a song, really a song of dedication to the Lord. And that song was saying, you know, I don't, I don't want old things. I want something new, God. And the Spirit of God is challenging you and I as men and women of faith to, to allow his spirit to come in and to have a place of dedication to him. You know, I was, I've been reading through the Old Testament recently, and it's interesting because in Psalm 115, I don't have it up here, but in Psalm 115, I think it's verse 7 or verse 8, it says that whatever you give your thought or actions to, that's, that's what you'll dedicate yourself to. And it's talking about idolatry. And if you go through and you read through the Old Testament, you'll see time and time again, there's illustrations of people that dedicate themselves to something, and then that manifests it. In the New Testament, it's really interesting because Paul, when he's speaking to the church at Corinth, which was a very spiritual community. It was kind of a high place in, in, in the time that Paul wrote his letters to him. But in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 12 through 18, listen to what Scripture says. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who put on a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. Do you know this story is about, this text is about? Moses went up on the mountain... And the presence of the Lord was on him, and he came off, and he was kind of like glowing. And his, his face was so intense that people couldn't look at it. So he had to take it, and, and he had to put a veil over his face so the glory of the Lord would not scare the people away. But what happened one day is that when he went, he, his, his, his time with the Lord, he wasn't spending with it, and the glory faded. So in order to pull the wool over the eyes of the people, he kept wearing the veil, and Paul's saying that really what happened, he, it, it, that, that glory had passed away. And he says, Paul says, that's not what we're to be like. 
We're not to be like someone trying to fake a relationship with God. We're people that are to have a relationship with the Lord. And then he goes on, he says this in verse 14, but their minds were made dull. Interesting. That when the presence of Lord leaves you, your mind becomes dull. And he says, it was dull from this day forward. The veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their heart. He's talking about the Jewish faith, that they don't understand the coming of the Hamashiach Yeshua, the, the, the coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And he says this in verse 15, even to this day, when Moses is read, their hearts are covered. You see, because they haven't dedicated themselves to hearing the word of the Lord, and they're trying to go on the old relationship they had, and God says, I want it new every day. Look what he says in, in verse 17, now... The, spirit, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory. Isn't it interesting that the New Testament, you can unveil your face and have the glory of the Lord. In the Old Testament, you had to cover the glory of the Lord. Because the, the Lord wants to show his presence to everyone we come in contact with. You know, as believers, our life should be a testimony to everyone we come in contact that we're different than other people. And they, they may not be able to put their finger on what makes you different, but you should be able to be different than other people. People, when they meet you, they should say, there's something about you, Fred, I really like. There's something about you, Johnny, that I really like. There's something about you, Ryan, that I really like. There's something about you that makes you different and attractive to other people. And what God wants to do is he wants to do that. And he says this, he says, and we are transformed into the image with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is spirit. So how did Jacob respond when he had this encounter with God? Because the Old Testament was, it was very different than the New Testament. And in Genesis chapter 35, verse 2, we read how after he encountered the Lord, what Jacob did as a result of that. Look at verse uh, uh, 2 of chapter 35 of the book of Genesis. So Jacob said to the household and all who were with him, get rid of the foreign gods you have with you and purify yourselves and change your clothing. Then come, let us go to Bethel, where I will build an altar to God who answered me in the day of my distress and whom I have been uh, with me wherever I have gone. So they gave Jacob all their foreign gods they had and the rings in their ears, and Jacob burned them all under the oak of Shechem. You know, it's interesting that Jacob's response when the Spirit of God spoke to him, was a, a, a response of obedience. The very first thing I see when I read this is that he, he basically says to the people, I'm going to lead this household. I'm going to challenge you to do what God's calling you to do. And, and if you look at, at verse uh, 2, look at verse 2, the next slide, if you would. Uh, verse 2 says, basically, this is what you're to do. You're to get rid of the foreign gods that you have with you. Now, it's interesting because Jacob, when he was dealing with this, he was dealing with his, his entire household, and he says to his household, I want you to purify you, yourselves. I want you to have the same encounter with God that I have. You know, as, as your pastor, my desire is not that I know everything and you know nothing. My desire as your pastor is I take everything I know about God and instill it in you so that you could walk in a powerful relationship with the Lord and you're strong men and women. We say we're building oaks of righteousness here. We're not building balsa wood 
Christians here. We're building oaks of righteousness. We want you to be solid in your faith, to know who you are, to know why God's with you, to know that no matter what comes your way, you, you, you are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. And it's interesting because what he does here in this text, he says to them, I want you to be people who influence other people. Why do we influence other people? Because we're called to t t take people into a knowledge and revelation of who Jesus Christ is. Let me tell you something. In your families, those of you have families, you need to be leading your families. You need to be people who are challenging your family every single day. doesn't matter how long they've been a believer. You need to ask them, hey, what are you learning from the Lord? What's the Lord speaking to you? How are you growing in your faith? Are there any struggles you're having? How can I help you to walk through this? You know, because one of the things that, like, I, I love Paul, and a couple of years ago at our men's retreat, we had shirts that had made, on the back of it, we had the passage from uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, where Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. You know, if you're following Christ the way you should, you, people should want to follow you. Now, if you're a bad translation of the gospel, you shouldn't have people follow you right? But if you're a good translation, people will want to follow you. And that's what we're, we're learning here in Jacob's life. You know, it's interesting because Paul, I love the apostle Paul, as I said, but in the book of Ephesians, listen to what he says to the church in Ephesus. Ephesus was a town that was a, a cultural, spiritual cesspool, okay? All kind of spiritual forces going there. Listen to what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. He says, follow God's example, Therefore, as dearly loved children, walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. I love that phrase because when I lived in India, I smelt a lot of fragrances. And not all of them were fragrances that were loving and endearing. I remember one time I was walking out in the heat of the summer, and it was so hot, and you could just smell all these smells, and I almost got sick to myself because it was just like I was walking, and the smells were so, so pungent and so vile. That's not the kind of testimony we're to have. Look what he says here. He says, he says I want you to be a fragrant offering. You ever walk by, like, honeysuckle, and all of a sudden you get the whiff of honeysuckle if you like the smell of honeysuckle, if you don't think of another flower. But I, I remember every time my wife and I would be walking, we'd go for a walk and, and we'd get a one part on our trail by our home and she'd go, oh, do you smell that? And I have a real strong sniffer. I smell a lot of things, you know? And I, I'm like, I can smell this, I can smell that, but oh, I really love the smell of honeysuckle because it's a pleasant smell. And that's the aroma that we should have around people that don't know the Lord. And the second thing that we see from Jacob's life is this. He tells them, not only I want you to follow me, but I want you to put away the false gods. Now, this is an interesting passage of Scripture because nowhere prior to this does it talk in, in Genesis chapter 34 or 33 about them uh, accumulating foreign gods. But what happened was the people were kind of like just allowing the pressures of life to kind of get in around them, the culture around them to get in around them. And so when we're talking about these, these foreign gods, what he's talking about here is they're allowing the, the, the past things that they were involved with to kind of hold on to them. And it's interesting because when you read through the text, a lot of times you, you just read over this and it's like, well, what are, what are these foreign gods? These foreign gods were literally small idols that the people had, had gotten in the culture they were with, and they just kind of incorporated them into their lifestyle. Oh, it's just something small. It's not that really that big of a deal. It's just, it's just a little tiny thing. You know, it's a little thing that's just there and it's going to, 
it's going to be there and it's not really going to matter. And like the things that you do on a daily basis, oh, just a little thing, it's, it's not going to affect me that much. But what does Scripture say in the Song of Solomon? It's the small foxes that ruin the vineyard. It's not the big things that are trip, trip us up. You know, the big things we're all aware of, you know. But it's those little tiny things that we think aren't going to affect us spiritually that get into our lives that kind of can trip us up, you know. And what God wants to do is God wants us to know that that's not what we're supposed to do. And then he says something that's interesting. He says to them uh, in, this, in this passage in Genesis 35, verse 4, he says, what about the rings in your ear? Now, this is not an anti-jewelry statement, okay? So if you have ear, pierced ears and you're wearing jewelry, this is not saying you shouldn't wear jewelry, okay? What he's basically talking about here, these are actually, uh, they're uh, amulets. Do you all know what an amulet is? An amulet is, uh, do you remember, remember the old movie, The Mummy, where the guy, they're in the, the cave and he's got all these symbols. He's got a cross. He's got a star of David. He's got the sickle of Islam. He's got all these Zoroastrian symbols. And as the mummy comes out, he's like pulling them out, trying to, you know, they're like spiritual good luck charms, really, is what they are. And uh, uh, they, they, they basically are something to prevent something bad from happening to you. And literally what he's talking about here, he's talking about how the people have these things that are, are connecting them with a, a, a symbol that connects them with a spiritual purpose. And he's saying, you need to get rid of all of those things. You need to have anything that connects you with your old spiritual life, with your old lifestyle, your old way of living. You need to get rid of them. Because what they do is they, they're anchors that are tying you backwards rather than allowing you to run forward. And so when I was thinking about this, I was thinking, what are some of the things that we have in our lives as believers? You know, are there fears from our past? Are there areas in our past that are, are causing us to constantly be uh, pulled back, insecurities, rejections, uh, self-pity, uh, inferiority complexes, some sort of envy about someone or maybe resentment towards things? What are the things that we allow to pull us back? You know, the longer I'm in the ministry, the more I'm, I'm perplexed by human personality because I see things that people do from years and years and years ago that are holding them back so they can't move forward. Do you ever see uh, professional athletes training, like football players, uh, where they have the, the rubber band around their waist and they're anchored to something, or maybe they have a rope around them and they have a big tire, you know, and they're trying to run, but what happens? Their, their, their forward progress is impeded because of something holding them back. And that's, that's really what the, the, the story here is about. Jacob's trying to tell the children of Israel, hey, you have these things in your life that are keeping you from what you should be. Just get rid of them. Just release them, you know? And, and, and he's saying that this because he sees the power that they have over their lives. And it's interesting because, like, uh, let me jump back to the New Testament again, to the Apostle Paul, because Paul addresses this same thing. In 1 Corinthians, he says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 19 and 20 and 21. He says, do I mean then that food sacrifice to an idol is anything or is it an idol is anything? No, but the sacrifice to pagans are offered to demons, not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons too. You cannot have a part in both uh, in, in both the Lord's table and the table of demons. It's interesting, Paul is, is kind of drawing a line in the sand with his believers in Corinth, which was a very hyper-spiritual community at the time of Paul. And he's saying, look, you got to choose this day whom you're going to serve. 
You can't have this kind of relationship over here with the Lord and then a relationship over here with demons. You can't have this relationship with things of, that are pure and then over here things that are impure. And what, what Paul's trying to address is the very same thing that Jacob's trying to ex, uh, express is that these amulets that you have, these false gods that you have, they're pulling you away from the true God, a true relationship with the Lord that the Lord wants you to have, but it's not the Lord's doing, it's you. You're, you're doing things, you know? Oh, just a, just a little bit's not going to hurt me. No, a little bit will kill you, you know? A little bit of arsenic will kill you. A little bit of poison in a cup will affect you. And it may not, it may not instantly kill you, but it, it'll do something to you. It'll affect you in a way that you can't operate. And what God wants to do is he wants you to walk in the fullness of his spirit. So when I'm, I'm thinking about this, I was thinking about how uh, this passage reminds me of like, do you ever have dust bunnies in your house? You know what dust bunnies are, those little fuzz things? You know, they're, you, you look under your bed, and all of a sudden there's these things that are growing under there. It's, you know, I don't have a problem with hair dust bunnies, but my wife does. You know, and, and everyone, I, I'm the one that vacuums. I love vacuuming. I'm always cleaning up stuff. And, and every once in a while, your vacuum can't even get the dust bunnies because there's so many. And what God wants, he wants to get rid of the spiritual dust bunnies in your life. Those things that are there that you kind of, you know they're there, but you're not really, oh, it's not that big of a deal. But it's the very thing that can keep you from being the man or woman of God that he's called you to be. And it's, remember, Song of Solomon, it's the, it's the small foxes that ruin the vineyard. It's the little things that often will trip us up. And, and both Jacob and Paul are both addressing the same things. And what he's basically saying to them is anything that you substitute as, as a substitute for the presence of God is going to weaken your spiritual life. So how does this affect us today? Do you go through a hard time? What do you do? You know, do you go to the Lord? Or do you go, you know, find something else that'll satisfy that need? I remember when I, I was a believer, I was a believer for about a year, year, maybe a year and a half. And actually, it was less than a year, now that I think about it. It was less than a year because I used to run all the time. And I ran all the time, all the time. And I remember one day I was out and I was, I was dealing with a real big spiritual issue. It was actually after the Lord calling me to, to ministry. And I decided that my answer would be to go for a good long run because that would clear my head and I'd, I'd have clear thoughts. And I started to run. As soon as I did, my, my knee started hurting. And then so okay, maybe I won't run today. And then I get dressed to go to class, and I'm in college, and I'm late for class, so I'm running across campus, no problem. I put on a pair of running shoes and, and go to try to run, and my knee starts hurting again. So a friend of mine was the, he was doing his PhD in exercise physiology, and he had the exercise lab, and he says, hey, what's going on? I said, man, my knee is killing me. Every time I try to run, I, I have pain. He says, well, why don't you come in? And they, they went through, and they put me through the MRI, nothing wrong physiologically with my knee. And so I thought, well, I'm going to go try running. I put my running gear on, tried to run. My knee started popping again, just hurting. And so I'm, I'm walking back to my house, and the Lord says, you've made running an idol in place of me. Instead of going to me to pray, instead of going to me to hear my voice, you want to go out and do something physical that'll, that'll help you to hear my voice. And, he says, and the Lord says, you've made running an idol. Now, is running bad for you? No. But how many things do we put in our life that are substitutes for what the Lord wants, of spending time with him, of just hearing his voice. And it was about six months I couldn't run. I could, if I was dressed like this, I could run for, for miles. 
But if I would put on a pair of running shoes, I couldn't run 10 paces. My, my knee would just throb. And then one day I was walking across campus and the Lord said to me, David, you can start running again. And I'm like, what? And he goes, you now sacrifice that idol. It's no longer something that's more important than me. Are there things in your life today that you're placing as a higher priority than the Lord? Are there things in your life that you're placing as a, a relationship with God that when he wants you to go to him, you go to those things? It could be sports. It could be you know, some sort of addiction that you have that no one else knows about, but you do it because it makes you feel good. And really, the Lord's saying, I want to pull you into a more intimate relationship with me. I want you to have a, a very personal relationship with me. I don't want some substitute. I don't want something that is not uh, genuine. I, I don't want something that you go to that, that kind of calms you and satisfies you. When I was thinking about this, I, I thought, why do, people, why do people turn to idols, you know? You know, we don't, we, don't like, we don't think Americans have idols, but we have tons of idols. You know, we always look to foreign countries that they have idols, or you look to a, a religion that's different than yours. But I think a lot of times people will, will turn to an idol because they, 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 they're looking for a place of refuge. They're looking for a place where they could find some sort of, of uh, way to avoid and hide from maybe some things in their life that are storms or troubles that they're facing. And I love what the psalmist says. It says in Psalm 46, verse 1, he says, For God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in times of trouble. You know, think about that. When you're going through a hard time, who do you turn to or what do you turn to first? Do you turn to something else or do you turn to the Lord? You know, Scripture says, cast your cares upon him. Why? Because he cares for you. And a lot of times we try to, how many of you, don't raise your hands, but how many of you, I could work this out myself. That's not what God wants. God wants you to turn those things over to him because he wants you to care, he, because he cares for you. Second thing I, I thought about why do people turn to idols is because they need to find their strength there. And uh, a lot of times we, we give up something, uh, things that, that seem to give us strength to stand up, we go to in place of the Lord, you know? A lot of times people will get involved with things that are very different than what the Lord's asking them to do and they, 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 they substitute that with an idol, you know? Sitting in front of a TV set because you've had a hard day rather than praying, you know? Maybe doing some, some like I said, sports or addictive behavior or, or whatever it is. What is it that you try to do when you need to be encouraged? The Lord's asking you to come to him. The Lord's asking you to, to, to run to him. I love the psalmist because in Psalm 27, this is a psalm of David. King David says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I uh, fear? The Lord is the stronghold. Basically, the Lord is the one that is the tower. The Lord is the one that is the insulator. The Lord is the one that is the protector of his life. And he says, of whom shall I be afraid? No one, nothing. And a lot of times when we're dealing with fear, we're dealing with something, we kind of retreat from the Lord rather than pressing into the Lord. And, and really what we're trying to do is we're trying to get a substitute for God, which any substitute for the Lord is an idol. And even if it's a good thing, it's an idol. And then I think the, the last reason why people will go seek after some sort of idol or something else besides the Lord is because it helps them to feel good about themselves. You know? What do you turn to when you don't feel good about yourself? What are you trying to overcome, you know? 
I love what the prophet Jeremiah says in Jeremiah tw- uh, verse nine, verse, chapter 9, verse 23 and 24. This is what the Lord says. I love this. The Lord's speaking to us. Don't you love when the Lord speaks to you? He says, Let not the wise boast of their wisdom, or the strong boast of their strength, or the rich boast of their riches. Now, how many of us see that on a daily basis? You know, you know I, I'm so smart. I'm so strong. I'm so rich. He says, But let the one who boasts boast about this that they have the understanding to know me. Remember, this is the Lord speaking. If you're going to be boasting about something, boast that you have an understanding of who the Lord is. And then I love what he says, that I am the Lord, upper case in that text, that's not a typo, but in the the Old Testament, when they use all capitals for uh, the word Lord, it means I am the Lord God Almighty. I am the supreme being. I am the, the God that is above every God. I'm the name that is above every name. And he says that, that whoever exercises kindness, justness, and righteousness on the earth, for in these things I delight, declares the Lord. You see, if we're going to boast in something, don't boast in your own accomplishments. Boast in what the Lord's done for you. Boast in the fact that you have a relationship with him. And the truth is, of the matter is this, is that the Lord is your refuge. The Lord is your strength. The Lord is the, your source that everything that you have, that you and I have nothing unless it comes from the Lord. And, and you may say, well, you don't understand. I did this myself. No, the Lord gave you the ability. You know, I always tell people that are wealthy, you know, scripture says the Lord gives you the ability to create wealth. <laughs> well, I'm just really good with math. I'm really good with money. No, the Lord has blessed you with that the ability. So here's the third thing that we look back, going back to the the concept of what was Jacob learning. Jacob, he put away his foreign gods, which literally is interesting because to put away is is what we refer to in the New Testament as the concept of repentance. And that's a term that we don't like to use a lot in the world today. Uh, Repentance has got kind of a bad rap. But when you actually think about it, repentance is actually a very good thing. When you read through Scripture, repentance is, is just turning away from things that can harm you. And in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter uh, uh, 3, verse 19, listen to what the New Testament says about what repentance is. Repent then, turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out. How many of you like to have your sins wiped out? You know, Think about this on a different level. If it was your credit, and you had really bad credit, how many of you would like to have your debt wiped out? I mean, that's literally what it's saying. Scripture saying... You know, how about your past? Some of you have a checkered past, you know? Don't raise your hand if that's you, but right? But if, if your past has is, is, is got some things in it that you don't want, and you're going for a job, and people are going to do a background check on you, and they're going to find it, and it's like, danger, danger, danger. How many of you like to have that wiped out? That's literally what Scripture's saying. And he says, he, because what's going to happen? And I love this, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. The whole thing about repentance is this. Repentance is God giving us a clean slate. Repentance is not God pushing us down into the mud, reminding us of our sin, because that's not who God is. People do that, but God doesn't. I tell you, churches sometimes will remind you of your sin. That's not really biblical. Churches are are supposed to embody the presence of the Lord. And the whole purpose of repentance is to cast your cares, to, to confess your sins, to put all of those things here at the altar, to leave them here, so that you can walk in newness. That's really what God wants. And repentance is really an attitude of, of, of turning away from those things that we substitute to find uh, comfort in, the, the false gods, the, 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 the amulets, those things that remind us of our past, that give us a sense of peace, you know, like almost like comfort food. How many of you have comfort food? 
You know, you, you, certain food you like, you know, it's probably not really good for you, but it's, 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 it's good for you. And you get that comfort out of it, right? Well, God's saying, let me be your spiritual comfort. Let me be the one that sustains you. Let me be the one that keeps you. And when you repent, what you're basically doing is you're taking your heart and you're saying, Lord, my heart has not been in the right place. I'm going to lay it down here for you. And then you can live in me. Give me a clean heart. Isn't that the song we sang? Isn't that what we're talking about this morning? And, and repentance is really about setting our heart and affection upon God. And the beautiful thing is when we do that, there's, there's this, this blending between repentance and belief. That if you truly are sorry, if you're really going to turn things over to the Lord, you believe that he is able to take those things and to make them new. Look what he says in this text. He says, times of refreshing. What does it mean if there's a time of refreshing? It means something has worn you out. Something has just totally pushed you down. Something has kind of compressed you into a mold. And God's saying, you know what? I'm giving you a new season. And that's really what is happening here with Jacob. Jacob goes and he goes to Bethel and he, he buries these, these idols under the oak at Shechem, basically saying, you know, these things are dead now. You don't bury living things, right? You bury dead things. And he buries them. And a lot of scholars say that there's an there's a imagery that he's trying to present. It's actually a prophetic imagery towards the New Testament of the coming of Christ that burying them under the oak tree is a symbol of the cross, that he's burying those things there deep down at the foot of the cross and allowing them to stay there so there can be newness of life. And so then what does he do? I love this. The next thing he says, look at verse 7 of Genesis chapter 35. He says, and then there he built an altar. So he buried them under the tree, and then he built an altar and called the place El Bethel. El Bethel basically because that's where God revealed himself to him and where he was fleeing from his brother. You know, the interesting thing, we like to build monuments, right? If you go any place in town where Rick and Francine were recently, and they went their monument at the center, the geographic center of the United States. If you go to Mount Rushmore, Mount Rushmore is a monument to presidents of the United States. If you go over to seas to different places and you go into these uh, towns, uh, in India when we visit, all, almost all the towns have a monument built in the center of the town for some great warrior, some great politician, some great person who did something. Monuments are meant to remind us of something that happened in the past so we have a sense of purpose and a sense of vision for the future. And what God's telling them in, in, in this story is he's telling them, look, I'm going to build an altar and I'm going to call this place the, 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 the place where God met us. So what happens every time you drive by there, you tell your kids, you know, back here, this is, this is where mom and I met. Back here, this is where we had our first date. And your kid's are like, please, we've heard this story so many times. You know, uh, they, it's a place you remember something. You drive by, this is the place I had my first job. This is the place I had this. It's a place of remembrance. And what God's trying to do is he's trying to build an altar of our conscience before him to say, I want you to remember the good things that I've done for you. And the good things that he did for Jacob, the good things he's doing for you and I, is when we turn and we lay those things down that were in our past that were keeping us from being who we should be in Christ. God says, I will remind you of that, and I will remind you not only of what you gave up, but more importantly, I will remind you of what the future that you have. And I'll tell you what, my, my favorite passage, I don't have it on the, the slides here, but my favorite passage is Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans the Lord has for you, not to harm you, but to give you a future and a hope. 
to prosper you, to prosper you and to give you a future of hope. How many of you want to prosper? How many of you want to be blessed in what you do? How many of you want to be the best in your job? How many of you want to be the best person you could be? That's really what the Lord's calling us to do. And the story that he shows us with Jacob is that this place of dedication is a place of surrender and a place to say, I will remember what the Lord's done in my life. I will remember the good things that God has done. I will remember the fact that I don't deserve it, but God forgave me of all of those things in my past so I could walk in a newness of relationship with him. That's really what we're talking about this morning. You know, if you want a new season, no one can give it to you except yourself. The Lord has already offered it to you. It's kind of like, has anyone ever gone on a cruise? Gone on a cruise on a cruise ship? I haven't. I get seasick. I think, you know, Bevan, you keep telling me that I like going on a cruise, but I don't know if I'll do that, you know. But a cruise ship, if you go on a cruise, the food is free. I've heard of people who've gone on cruises who've packed food in their suitcases because they didn't realize that the food on the cruise ship was free. You know, and the, the, the analogy of this is a lot of times the Lord has already provided a banquet for us and we're not aware of it. The Lord has already provided all these things for us and we're not aware of it. But what, one of the things that happens is when you come to that revelation, you come to that understanding, I call it the spiritual aha moment where you go, ah, oh, that's what the Lord's trying to do. Well, you know, the Lord is, 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 is blessing us. The Lord is, is sustaining us. And if you drop down to verse 9, look, look at this in verse 9, Genesis 35, 9. This is God's response to Jacob's obedience. Jacob did all these things. He got rid of the idols, the false gods. He got rid of the earrings that were representing of amulets. He went and he made a dedication at, at the, uh, the, at the uh, altar there. And look at verse 9. After Jacob returned from uh, Padam Aram, God appeared to him and blessed him. You know, God is in the blessing business. I had a really interesting conversation. You know, we have a school here. We have a bunch of little kids running around. And uh, uh, no, it wasn't. It was actually your son, Ryan. What, what is, why do you say God bless you when someone sneezes? You know? And I had this conversation with uh, uh, Ryan's son, and he says, he says, well, Pastor, why do you say God bless you when people sneeze you? I said, well, actually, you know, the German is Gesundheit, which is literally, you know, a German expression that may God bless you because when you sneeze, people believe that your heart stops momentarily. And so may the Lord bless you to keep your heart beating, you know? And literally, that's what the Lord wants to do. The Lord wants to bless you, and Jacob... He, after he goes through this whole process and he, he turns and he, he gives those things over to the Lord, the Lord says, I want to bless you. What is a blessing? A blessing is a hand of God upon you and what you do. Now, my prayer for, for you as, as individuals, my prayer for you as families, my prayer for you as business owners, my prayer for you as workers is the Lord would bless you. Jer Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans the Lord has for you to prosper you. I pray that all the time for this church. I pray that over your businesses and your relationships. You know, Deuteronomy 28, the first section of Deuteronomy 28 are all the blessings in Scripture that God wants to do. Why does God want to bless you? Because you're his son or his daughter. And as a son and daughter, I don't know about you and your family, but in my family, I want my kids to do better than I did. I want my kids to thrive. I want the, the very thing that I thought was never attainable to be the thing that my kids think that's the bottom rung on their ladder because I believe that the Lord wants to bless his sons and daughters and it all comes down to us having a relationship with him, all coming down to having a relationship to say, God, I trust you with every area of my life so implicitly that no matter what comes my way, I'm ready to give that to you. Listen to what James says. And Michael, you want to come up with a worship team? 
In, in the book of James, James is the brother of Jesus. I love how he says this in the Amplified Version. The Amplified Version brings out all the nuances of the text. And in, in James chapter 4, verse 8, it says this, Come close to God with a contrite heart, and he will come close to you. Don't you love that? If you draw near to God, he's going to draw near to you. If you come close to him with a, a contrite heart, what is a contrite heart? It's a heart that's not prideful or arrogant. It's a heart that says, you know what, God, I just, I'm just before you, you know. I'm just going to come, all my faults, all my foibles, every problem I've ever had, Lord, I'm going to come. Because let me tell you something. The Lord already knows those things. You don't have to pretend with God. You don't have to, you know, kind of try to impress him. He understands everything about who you are, everything about who I am. And we can come before him with a contrite heart. He says, and as you come close to me, this is what I'll do. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your unfaithful hearts, you double-minded people. You know why? Because when he's, he's referring to the concept of repenting of anything that you've placed in front of the Lord, surrendering all of those things, and whose responsibility is it to draw near to the Lord? Yours, you know? It's not my responsibility to draw you to the Lord. It's not my responsibility to grab you by the hand and bring you up and make you surrender. It's your responsibility. My responsibility, even as a pastor, is just to present the Word of God to you in a way that you can understand it so you're not like, oh, what does that passage of Scripture mean? My responsibility is to speak the Word of God to you, and then you have the, the internal conviction to say, I want to incorporate what I've heard into my life, not just into my mind. So how do we close today? I want to close by just having a couple, asking a couple questions to reflect upon. And then we're going to close in a word of prayer. What is the Holy Spirit speaking to you about today in this message? What is it in your life that God's speaking to you in a very clear way right now? What is he, what is he calling you to do? As I've been speaking, I believe the Holy Spirit is here in our midst because wherever two or three are gathered in his name, he's here. And I believe that one of the reasons we gather together is so that we could hear the voice of the Lord. So what is the voice of the Lord saying to you this morning? And then what response do you need to make? Not, not responding in a way that I want you to, but what response do you need to make to what you've heard? Are there areas in your life that you've kind of been just settled in? You've allowed the the false gods or the amulets of the past to hold you back? Have you been passive in that? Or have you allowed the influences of the world to speak to you, to tell you this is where you get your comfort, this is where you become strong, this is where you gather the ability to handle life? Have you allowed the establishment of things in your life that after hearing this word, you'd say you're kind of like an idol that have been tolerated in your life that have quietly yielded their influences over you? Are there things that you've allowed to come in to, to be a substitute refuge to you? Are there things that you're sensing that are turning your, your eyes and your heart just even ever so slightly away from what God wants to do in your life? Lord's calling each and every one of us to a new season. 
And it can't be someone else's responsibility. It has to be ours. So right now, I just want to pray that we could each, in our own unique way, build an altar before the Lord this morning. Wherever you're at, seating here, you may be listening to this online, you may be listening to this in a podcast, whatever it may be, but I want to challenge you to, to take the Word of God and let it not be something that Scripture says that you are like a person who looks in the mirror and then turns and forgets what they've seen, but Lord, that the Lord would speak to you in such a way that you would hear what he's saying to you and you would want to act upon it. So Father God, right now, we just come before you as men and women, as people that want to know you in a more intimate way. I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would just take the words of this message today in a, in a very clear and a very tangible way. Help us to make it part of our life, Lord. Make it part of who we are as men and women of faith. I pray, Father, that we would uh, turn over any of those things in our life that are keeping us from being who you've called us to be, Lord. I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would uh, point out those areas that are maybe just small things, but, Lord, they're the things that are keeping us from a, a, a more intimate, more intense relationship with you. And I pray, Father, that each and every one of those that are hearing the sound of my voice this morning, that, Lord, they would realize that you're doing this not to judge us, not to condemn us, not to make us feel bad, but, Lord, to set us free. The Lord, as your word said, to give us a spring of refreshing. And, Lord, I just surrender us to you this morning. I ask and pray that your Holy Spirit would just uh, massage the words of this message into the very fabric of who we are as men and women. And, Lord, we thank you for that, Father, in Christ's name. Why don't you stand, and Michael's going to lead us in a song of worship, and then I'll come back and close in a word of prayer. Caught up in your presence I just want to sit here at your feet Caught up in this holy Never want to leave I'm not here for blessing Jesus, you don't owe me anything More than anything that you can do I just want you I'm sorry when I've just gone through the motion. I'm sorry I've just sang another song. Take me back to where we started. I open up my heart to you. And I'm sorry. When I've come with my agenda, I'm sorry that I've said they weren't enough. Take me back to where we started. I open up my heart to you. I'm 
Nothing else, Jesus, nothing else will do. 